This is Sunday Focus, a weekly public affairs program that looks at the topics affecting our society and the people who are making a change in the community each and every day. The people who have vision for the next generation. Sunday Focus presents new challenges for us, keeping you informed with topics of local and regional interest. Now the host of Sunday Focus, Christine Manica. Good morning. Coming up on the program today, I will sit down with the executive director of the Compass Center, Michelle Trent. There are many great organizations in the Sioux Empire that have dealt with numerous challenges thanks to COVID-19, including the Compass Center. But nevertheless, they were able to help victims of sexual and domestic violence and will continue to do so no matter what is going on in the world. Michelle Trent of the Compass Center joins the program to talk about the organization, the Compass Center's new normal adjustment events in the future and how the community can get involved. You can always visit compasscenter.org for more information and the types of services they offer. That's compasscenter.org. All that and more coming up on Sunday Focus. Good doesn't happen by accident. To make a real difference in people's lives, it takes a dedicated community. It takes a team like the Sioux Empire United Way. When you give to the United Way, You're sharing the good and changing lives for one out of every three people in the Sioux Empire. You're providing books for kids, meals for seniors, and second chances for people in crisis. We're better when we're united. See the good your donation does at seuw.org. Welcome back to another edition of Sunday Focus. I'm being joined in the studio from Michelle Trench. She is the executive director with the Compass Center here in Sioux Falls. Michelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah, a little bit. Absolutely. First of all, you know, you're one of the many great organizations here in the Sioux Empire. So for anyone who isn't familiar, tell us about the Compass Center. Yeah, so the Compass Center is a rape and domestic abuse center. We provide services to victims of... Of sexual family and relationship trauma and so that includes both trauma happening right now or trauma that's happened 20 years ago um, we provide advocacy services to those victims so people who need help with protection orders or need help um, going to court or um, moving apartments or other needs that they might have and then we also provide long-term counseling to those folks and so that c- um, we serve children as young as three and we go mm-hmm. all the way up to adults as old as 103 and beyond and um, those services, all of those services for victims are completely free. Um, We don't charge for those services. Um, And then we also offer education and prevention, so helping to educate the community about um, family, sexual, and relationship trauma and hopefully focused on prevention so that we don't have to have people that are experiencing that in our communities. This could be the hardest question in the entire interview. Roughly, how many people would you say benefit from the Compass Center? Yeah, that's a it's a tough question yeah. because we have direct clients coming in, um, but certainly we believe that those benefits extend to their families beyond. So, um, in fiscal year um, twenty twenty one. Yeah, we just, no, 2020, sorry. Yes. Um, Our numbers were a little bit lower. We saw um, uh, about 600 individual people, Mm. um, but we saw those 600 people multiple times. And so um, we might have seen them once and then six months later seen them again. And so if you count all of those people separately in terms of their service needs, it was over a thousand, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you go into extent about the types of programs that you offer at the Compass Center? Yeah. So our advocacy program is... um, 
one of our programs where we provide um, a variety of services to victims that kind of fall outside of counseling, but it's all of the other barriers that get in the way of somebody healing. So our advocates, um, we start our advocacy program with our sexual assault advocacy program. And so those are folks that respond to the hospitals or to the law enforcement center after someone has been sexually assaulted. And so that's a 24 hour a day, seven days a week program. And so once someone has been assaulted, if they're making a report about that, our advocates are there with them at, through that whole process. And so that's kind of our first piece. We also then do advocacy at Protection Order Court. And so people that are filing protection orders, that are seeking a protection order against an abusive partner, we're there at protection order court to help them um, navigate that complicated system. And then our advocates also help with a variety of other things. So we have an advocate who's specifically a um, disability liaison. And so she works with folks that have a disability who have also been victimized Mm -hmm. to help them kind of navigate both systems. Um, And then they help with kind of everything under the sun that a person might need that gets in the way of them being able to heal. So we can help with some financial pieces. We can help with um, court, help with moving, um, connecting people to community relationships, all of those different things that kind of get in the way of somebody healing. So that's our advocacy program. Our counseling program um, is multifaceted. So we provide individual counseling um, to victims age three and above, and that could be primary victims or secondary victims. So secondary victims would be anyone else in that victim's life that Mm. is impacted. So it could be best friend or mom or sister or someone else. Um, So those services are available. We also offer group counseling to sexual assault survivors. So uh, that group counseling happens on a rotating basis in different types of groups. We also have a program called um, parent-child interaction therapy. And so that involves um, working with parent and child together, and they're getting real-time feedback from the therapist, helping that parent improve their relationship with that kiddo. And then um, we also offer specialized services like eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR therapy, um, TFCBT therapy, just various other specialized trauma-focused therapies. What do you think the biggest need is for Sioux Falls when your clients come in and seek the Compasses services what do you think their biggest need is and why yeah I mean I think the city has a very big need and I think it's talked about in lots of places in our community is housing you know I think affordable housing is a is a really big issue it's a really big topic for many service providers and and same for us in the sense of when people are fleeing from violent relationships finding them a safe place to go is a real challenge so that's i think one of the biggest needs the other need you know if we think about south dakota and sioux falls in general south dakota um, is number three in the nation per capita for Mm -hmm. sexual violence and so we have a large sexual violence problem in our state in sioux falls the um, average is about one and a half times the national average. Wow. And so sexual violence is a big problem. And so um, resources for sexual violence, I think, are something else that are often needed and, and support from the community when a person's been assaulted. It's hard not to talk about this at this time, but we have to mention the COVID-19 pandemic. Sure. Last year, and even still now mm-hmm. a little bit, we it was a trying time for a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially people who have experienced some sort of sexual and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Let's take you back to when COVID first became a reality for the state of South Dakota. What were the first thoughts that crossed your mind professionally and personally? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, we had an interesting experience with COVID. Um, So within kind of the first weeks of it coming to South Dakota, we actually had a participant in one of our groups that called the next day and said, hey, I was exposed to COVID. And so we had to react very, very quickly. And and at that time, we didn't know very much about what we needed Mm -hmm. to do and, and the information was scarce. And so, you know, professionally, it was about keeping the people coming in our doors safe and my staff safe. So knowing that if one of my staff gets sick, we have, you know, a small group of people. And so if one gets sick, that means everybody in the office gets sick, like it happens in most office yeah, buildings. Right. And so really wanting to make sure that everybody stayed safe. But then in addition, really thinking about how can we make sure that our services are available? Because we we are an essential business. We can't shut down for two weeks to have everybody get healthy. And so we needed to transition very quickly. And so that was kind of our 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 battleground of figuring out how do we keep everyone safe, but still provide a life-saving service to folks who absolutely need it. So those were kind of our first thoughts professionally. Personally, you know, again, I care about everybody that is coming in the doors and, and my staff. And so, you know, there's those personal relationships of, Not only do I not want them to get sick professionally, but personally, I don't want somebody to get sick or or become ill. And so those were the challenges that we experienced in the first couple of weeks, those first days when we got that phone call. It was it was an interesting few days. You probably never thought that you would be leading a group of people during a pandemic. (laughs) No, I absolutely didn't. I didn't. Well, and I don't think anybody signed up for it. And, and, you know, the, the great news is. We learned a lot and we pivoted and were able to provide services in unique ways that we've not done before, which I think we grew from. But yeah, I mean, certainly it was not something on anybody's radar of what does it look like to lead in a pandemic and how do you provide domestic violence, sexual assault services in the middle of a pandemic? If you are just listening, Michelle Trent, she is the executive director for the Compass Center. She is with me in the studio right now. And you weren't the only organization here that had to adjust to a new normal to pivot. So what were some ideas that you and your team had in order to help those in need in the Sioux Empire? Well, the first thing that we really did was focus on transitioning our services to telehealth. Telehealth was something that was kind of on our long-term strategic plan, um, but was not something that we had really yeah. jumped into. And and so we jumped into it within a week and transitioned our services from completely in-person to completely remote in a week. And so that was not ideal and, and certainly was a challenge. But, you know, it was something that I think is important and we're still using those pieces today. We have clients that telehealth works so much better for, you know, so if you think about traditional counseling, somebody might have to take off two hours in order to come to a counseling appointment because they're taking off work, driving, doing their appointment, and then driving back to work. And for lots of folks, that just isn't feasible. So telehealth has really opened up a lot of doors for folks to get the help that they need. So that's been a really positive impact on our services. And it's something that will continue on forward. Uh, But that was kind of our first things. And then also just thinking about, you know, how do we, how do we transition all of our staff to work remotely? How do you get computers? You know, we didn't have, we had desktops and those don't work very well to work on telehealth. And, you know, so all of those unique challenges that I know other businesses experienced as well. How did your clients react to all these new changes? Were they scared? Were they Mm -hmm. hopeful knowing that you were trying to do whatever you could in order to keep on providing those services? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, everybody was scared you know when we first 
when it first started happening, you know, you don't know what to expect and you don't know what it looks like. And so certainly think, I think our clients were scared, but you know, the, our clients are some of the most resilient folks that exist. And so they're used to having to navigate difficult waters and, and that's not fair to them. And, and that's certainly nothing we want them to experience, but in this moment, their ability to be resilient and to kind of navigate those difficult waters shone through really brightly. And so they transitioned well. The other thing that we know is that folks that have experiences with trauma in their background are more at risk for other um, types of illnesses and those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. So we have a lot of high risk folks, folks that really can't get sick. And so they were really appreciative of the fact that they could transition to remote services and still see their counselor on a weekly basis, but not have to experience the risk factors of becoming ill by coming in. So that was something that many of our clients really appreciated. Did you as an organization have any fears? Like maybe people wouldn't be likely to reach out just because we are in a pandemic. This is unprecedented and something that no one has ever experienced before. Like mm-hmm. I always called it, there's no playbook for mm-hmm. this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a whole lot of fears at the beginning of, of what does this look like? And we had never provided telehealth services completely to our victims. And so really figuring out, can this even happen? Are they going to get the same benefit out of telehealth sessions as they do in-person sessions? Mm-hmm. Is that going to feel the same to them? Are they going to heal in the same ways? And then also just thinking about, you know, what happens for folks like in domestic violence situations, if their partner's at home and their partner's the violent person, they can't do telehealth because there's not a safe place for them to go. So how do we help those folks navigate their own personal challenges to get them to a place where they could utilize telehealth. And so that was certainly something that um, was scary for us of, of might be we be closing off our services to some of the victims that need it the most. What we found, though, is that really um, we were able to find some creative solutions for many of those folks. You know, they might have been like, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store and then did a telephone session with their counselor in the car. And so some of those kind of unique things that never before would we have had to think about How do we help somebody have a telehealth session when they're living with their violent partner? You know, that brings up another good point, too. Some people with other organizations around the Sioux Empire, they weren't sure if they were still open Mm -hmm. or if they were doing things remotely. And organizations had to find a way to communicate to Mm -hmm. people saying, yes, come in. We're essential. We're open. So how did the Comfort Center do that for, for your clients? Yeah, we have a kind of added layer in there of sometimes it's not safe to communicate with our folks via mail or those pieces. And so we really tried to um, communicate with them over the phone and in the safe ways that we had already established with them. So we did provide letters um, that we handed out and did mail to a few folks. Um, And then we also um, have email systems. And so we did some emails for folks. We put it on our social media. We really tried to make that personal contact with folks. So counselors were calling a lot of their clients clients and saying this is what it's going to look like. Um, So we really tried to reach them in whatever way was safe. And so that really looked different for each person that we worked with. Another thing that was different throughout COVID with different trends and organizations, people were reaching out for different reasons. Sometimes it were it was people that necessarily didn't need help before, but now mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's here. So what were some of the common reasons people were reaching out to the Compass Center during COVID? Yeah, I think, you know, we had folks that were reaching out that maybe had been in a 
an emotionally abusive relationship and it wasn't something that they really realized, but then they were forced to spend more time with that person. And so then they were really confronted with what that looked like. We had families that were kind of on the brink or had several risk factors for abuse within their families happening before COVID. And then once you added on the stress of COVID, then that kind of exploded the abuse that was happening or that was on the verge of happening Mm -hmm. before. So we had folks that were calling saying um, the violence is worse or it's more intense than it had been in the past or um, it's gone from it was just emotionally abusive to now it's gone to physically abusive. So a lot of kind of escalation of um, existing behavior or existing risk factors were many of the things that we saw in kind of the first few months. Did your numbers change during COVID? As in, did you see more people use the Compass Center in 2020 or kind of less? Yeah, we really saw less, which is interesting. Um, So what we saw initially is our numbers kind of plummeted, and especially our numbers in sexual assault. Um, So what we found by talking with victims is people weren't going to the hospitals. They were afraid of the hospitals or they were worried about making the doctors and nurses be more overwhelmed because victims are people that generally think of of others' needs more importantly than their own sometimes. And so they would say things like, well, I don't want to go to the doctor because I know that they're really busy and, and I don't want to take up their time. And so our sexual assault number numbers honestly kind of completely bottomed out. We went from having a record number of sexual assault calls mm. to zero. Um, and then domestic violence was the same where, you know, once people had other things that were affecting their immediate safety, they weren't able to focus on some of those healing pieces from their other traumas. And so what happened then is for the about the first three months, things kind of dropped. And then since then, we have seen a steady climb to the okay. point that um, we have a waiting list right now for services, and, and hopefully that will be gone soon. But we have just continued to get busier and busier and busier and busier. And we know that that will be likely be the case going forward. And, and I know... A lot of times when you see those numbers going up, it's it's great that people are reaching out mm-hmm. for help, but at the same time, it, it is bittersweet, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't want violence to be happening. We don't want people to be assaulted. We don't want people to be in unsafe relationships. And so ultimately, our goal as an organization and in our community is to get rid of sexual violence, to get rid of domestic violence, to get rid of all of these pieces. But we know that, unfortunately, we're not at that place yeah. yet. And so... Numbers going up are bittersweet in that we know that people are getting help, but we also know that that means that this continues to happen in our communities. I'm underestimating this when I say this, but there are many, many lessons that could be taken away from this pandemic. What are some of the lessons that you or the Compass Center can take away? Yeah, I think we can take away, first of all, the telehealth piece. That has been such a transformational piece, and that's something that you know, I don't know that we knew our services could be provided in the, in the in telehealth. And now we know and we know that people are receiving it really well. So that's one thing that um, we learned. The other thing that we learned is that, you know, I learned about my team and, and I think they learned about each other is, man, we can be really resilient yeah. when we have to be and we can pivot really quickly when we need to. And their compassion and dedication for the clients never changed, but the way in which they were providing it did. The other thing I think we learned is, you know, our job is hard and we knew that. Um, but we also kind of learned that 
we have to continue to look at how we're taking care of our employees, whether we're in a pandemic or not, and how do we help meet their needs and make sure that they are emotionally and mentally healthy as well is just as important because if they're not emotionally in a place where they're healthy, then they can't provide the excellent services. And so really focused on those are pieces that will carry forward of, of continually putting that in the forefront of, of how are our staff doing and how can we help them to be emotionally in a different space. Should this ever happen again, mm-hmm. which I hope it doesn't, what would you do differently? Yeah, I think we would do differently. I think we would really... Um, you know, when COVID happened, everything had to happen so quickly. Um, And so I think hopefully we will have plans in place that maybe we can slow down a little bit next time and really kind of think about some things. I think we also learned that we can provide telehealth services, but telehealth services don't work for everybody. And Mm -hmm. so really figuring out how do we meet the needs of people who telehealth is not going to work for and, and making sure that we're doing that in a safe way. And so I think the ability to just kind of push pause a little bit and hopefully we'll have plans in place that allow us to just step back for a second and say, hey, let's make sure that we're really focused on meeting everyone's needs. If you are just listening, Michelle Trent, she is the executive director with the Compass Center. She's with us in the studio this morning. So organizations in the Sioux Empire, like the Compass Center, really rely on the public's support. And you have a lot of great events that happen throughout the year. So tell us about those. Yeah, so um, we do a couple of big events and then some small events um, kind of filtered through. So we just finished our annual 0.5K. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun, fun event. We call it South Dakota's laziest race. Um, and so there literally we don't allow running. And so it's um, people um, walk. Uh, it's a third of a mile. I can't remember how many feet it is, but it's it's very short. So we <laughs> walk out um, and we do rest stop activities. So they do fun activities out at the rest stop areas. Um, we have Twinkies and Hostess cupcakes and all sorts of different things and just really have a fun time celebrating the community support of our organization. Um, So that happens in the summer, usually around July. Um, Mm -hmm. We usually do it kind of second or third week in July. Um, And then our biggest event of the year is our annual gala, which happens in March. Um, And so that um, is a gala where we celebrate the successes of the Compass Center, um, but are focused on on raising dollars. So we do a silent auction. we do a live auction and a silent auction, um, have good food and have um, just fun coming out to celebrate together. So that happens every year in March. You know, we were talking about this off the air. The laziest race was kind of rained out in a way. And I said right away, I feel so bad for you. So how did you pivot during that situation? Because what else is new, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we made it the even lazier race. So what we did is (laughs) uh, at Remedy. So it happens at Remedy Brewing and they have a back patio that has an awning. And so we just moved everything onto the patio. So people didn't even have to walk at all. So they got to do the fun activities and do the fun pieces and didn't have to walk so we called it south dakota's even lazier race and oh, um, it became the <laughs> 0.0k instead of the 0.5k so we we pivot, pivoted successfully i think people still had a really great time what about the gala for this year can mm-hmm. we see it be in person what did you do last year with covid anything like that 
that. Yeah, we are proud of the fact that um, we, this year in 2021, um, were able to do a hybrid gala. So we offered in person as well as online, um, which was very successful. We were able to follow a whole lot of protocols to keep everyone safe and people wore masks and and did different things. And we had a very successful event and, and we were very proud of that. Our intention at this moment is to move forward with an in-person and probably hybrid um, option for 2022. Um, But of course, you never know with how things are going, where we'll end. But um, that is the intention. Um, I think people really enjoyed it. Besides these events, are there other ways that the community can get involved? Yeah. So, you know, we have a variety of different fundraising times throughout the year. So we do things for Giving Tuesday. We do things kind of all throughout the years for times that folks can donate money. You can always donate money. So if you go to the compasscenter.org, um, that gives you information about how to donate and, and um, donate dollars. We we love those pieces. Um, we love it when people are able to give. And, and if they're able to give $5 or $5,000, we love each donor the same. Um, and so whatever folks are able to give. The other thing that we often do is we'll have kind of supply drives. And so if you follow our Facebook page, you'll be able to see when those times are. So sometimes we need things for our sexual assault responses. We sometimes need clothing. Um, We also sometimes ask for art supplies for our therapy sessions and those kinds of things. So following us on Facebook is probably the easiest way to get the information on those things. Before we wrap this up, can you share any success stories just to give people an idea of how much the Compass Center does impact this community. Yeah, you know, success stories are so fun and, and we have lots of them and, and our folks get to see them. I think the one that comes to mind is um, we had an individual that um, had been assaulted years ago while they were in high school and mm. they were coming up on a reunion um, that they were going to go to. And um, the idea of being in the same room with that person who assaulted them was very um, stressful, and they didn't know that they were going to be able to go. So they came in to receive services um, and were able to successfully go to that reunion and had a great time. They even saw the person who assaulted them and did not have their um, traumatic episodes like they thought that they would and were able to stay. And so it was really successful for them of of being able to go and, and kind of move past the trauma that they experienced as a teenager and it was how many years later that they were dealing with that absolutely how great is it to see those types of positive Mm -hmm. results and to be a part of someone's new success story and journey yeah well that's the honor of doing the work that we do people often say you know it's really hard work and it's true it is hard work but man i get to see the strength and resiliency of individuals every day in our offices and there's so much power in seeing that and so it's the things that keep us going and so it's great All right, Michelle Trent, she is the executive director with the Compass Center here in the Sioux Empire. Michelle, if anybody has any questions about the services you offer, if they know someone that's been sexually assaulted or has experienced domestic violence, where can they go? Yep, so they can reach out on um, the Compass Center Facebook page, on the messenger there. They can call 605-339-0116. They can also call 211 if it's 2 in the morning and they need help and call 211 and ask for the Compass Center on-call staff member and that will get them through to our sexual assault advocate. All right, awesome, Michelle Trent. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You may know about Girl Scouts from our awesome cookies, but we do so much more. You can go to camp. You can even be a Girl Scout by helping your community. You can go to events. I can't wait for my next series. I'm going to learn about photography. You can travel. 
I can't wait to go to Hong Kong and Jamaica. If you can't wait to do more and see more, check out Girl Scouts. Call 800-666-2141 or visit gsdakotahorizons.org. We used to think all lung cancer was the same. But now we know there are several different molecular types of lung cancer. By performing molecular testing on a lung cancer tumor, doctors can try to determine what's causing it to grow, which can help identify treatment options. Not all lung cancers are the same. Talk to your doctor to see if molecular testing is appropriate for you. And visit lungcancerprofiles.com. That's lungcancerprofiles.com. A public service of six leading lung cancer advocacy groups and Pfizer Oncology. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Good doesn't happen by accident. To make a real difference in people's lives, it takes a dedicated community. It takes a team like the Sioux Empire United Way. When you give to the United Way, you're sharing the good and changing lives for one out of every three people in the Sioux Empire. You're providing books for kids, meals for seniors, and second chances for people in crisis. We're better when we're united. See the good your donation does at seuw.org. I'm Christine Manica, and you've been listening to Sunday Focus. I'd like to thank Michelle Trent of the Comfort Center for joining us today on the program. Once again, the Comfort Center is just one of many great organizations in the Sioux Empire that have dealt with numerous challenges thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. But nevertheless, they were and are able to help victims of sexual and domestic violence and will continue to do so no matter what is happening in the world. You can always visit compasscenter.org for more information and the types of services they offer. You can also find out ways to get involved by visiting that website. That's compasscenter.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Sunday Focus.